Section 21 of Baled Hay by Bill Nye. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The March of Civilization. Spokane Ike, the Indian who killed a doctor last summer for failing to cure his child, has been hanged. This shows the onward march of civilization and vouchsafes to us the time when a doctor's life will be in less danger than that of his patient. An Unclouded Welcome N. P. Willis once said, The sweetest thing in life is the unclouded welcome of a wife. This is true indeed, but when her welcome is clouded with an atmosphere of angry words and coal scuttles, there is something about it that makes a man want to go out in the woodshed and sleep on the ice chest. THE PILLOW SHAM HOLDER Some enemy of mankind has recently invented an infernal machine known as the Pillow Sham Holder, which is attached to the head of the bedstead and works with a spiral spring. It is a kind of refined towel rack on which you hang your pillow shams at night so they won't get busted by the man of the house. The man of the house generally gets the pillow shams down under his feet when he undresses and polishes off his cunning little toes on the lace poultice on which his wife prides herself. This pillow sham holder saves all this. You just yank your pillow sham off the bed and hang it on this high-toned sham holder where it rests all night. At least that's the intention. After a little while, however, the spring gets weak and the holder buckles to, or caves in, or whatever you may call it, at the most unexpected moment. The slightest movement on the part of the occupant of the bed turns loose the pillow sham holder, and the slumberer gets it across the bridge of his or her nose, as the case may be. Sometimes the vibration caused by a midnight snore will unhinge this weapon of the devil, and it will whack the sleeper across the features in a way that scares him almost to death. If you think it is a glad surprise to get a lick across the perspective faculties in the middle of a sound slumber when you are dreaming of Elysium and high-priced Perrys and such things as that, just try the death-dealing pillow-sham holder, and then report in writing to the chairman of the executive committee. It is well calculated to fill the soul with horror and amaze. A raven-black Saratoga wave hanging on the back of a chair has been known to turn white in a single night as a result of the sudden kerflummox of one of these cheerful articles of furniture. SOMETHING FRESH our Saturday dispatches announced that an infernal machine had just been received at the office of Chief Justice Field, and later on, Justice Field, who was in Wyoming Saturday, said to a reporter that the machine was one that was sent to him in 1866, and that last week he sent it down to a gun factory to have the powder taken out, as he wished to stuff it and preserve it among the archives. With the aid of the telegraph and the faculties of the Associated Press, it does seem as though we were living in an age of almost miraculous possibilities. Here is an instance where an infernal machine is sent to a prominent man, and, in less than sixteen years, the news is flashed to the four quarters of the globe like lightning. 
How long will it be before the whole bloody history of the War of the Rebellion will be sent to every hamlet in the land? How long before the safe arrival of the Ark and the losses occasioned by the deluge will be given to us in dollars and cents? People don't fully realize the advantages we possess in this glorious 19th century. They take all these things as a matter of course and forget how the palpitating brain palps for them and how the quivering nerve quivs on and on through the silent night in order that humanity may keep informed in relation to ancient history. A Barefooted Goddess There is one little national matter that has been neglected about long enough, it seems to us. If the goddess of liberty is allowed to go barefoot for another century, her delicate toes will spread out over this nation, like the shadow of a great woe. Yanked to Eternity Once, when a section crew came down the mountain of the South Park Road, from Alpine Tunnel to Buena Vista, a very singular thing occurred, which has never been given to the public. Everyone who knows anything at all knows that riding down that mountain on a pushcar, descending at the rate of over two hundred feet to the mile, means utter destruction, unless the brake is on. This brake is nothing more nor less than a piece of scantling which is applied between one of the wheels and the car bed in such a way as to produce great friction. The section crew referred to got on at Hancock with their bronzed and glowing hides as full of arsenic and rainwater as they could possibly hold. Being recklessly drunk, they enjoyed the accumulated velocity of the car wonderfully, until the section boss lost the brake off the car, and then there was a slight feeling of anxiety. The car at last acquired a velocity like that of a young and frolicsome bobtailed comet turned loose in space. The boys began to get nervous at last, and asked each other what should be done. There seemed to be absolutely nothing to do but to shoot onward into the golden presently. All at once the section boss thought of something. He was drunk, but the deadly peril of the moment suggested an idea. There was a rope on the car which would do to tie to something heavy and cast off for an anchor. The idea was only partially successful, however, for there was nothing to tie to but a spike hammer. This was tried, but it wouldn't work. Then it was decided to tie it to some one of the crew and cast him loose in order to save the lives of those who remained. It was a glorious opportunity. It was a heroic thing to do. It was like Arnold Winklered's great sacrifice by which victory was gained by filling his own system full of lances and making a toothpick holder of himself in order that his comrades might break through the ranks of their foes. George O'Malley, the section boss, said that he was willing that Patsy McBride should snatch the laurels from outrageous fortune and bind them on his brow, but Mr. McBride said he didn't care much for the enconiums of the world. He hadn't lost any enconiums and didn't want to trade his liver for two dollars worth of damaged laurels. Everyone declined. All seemed willing to go down into history without any ten-line pay local and wanted someone else to get the effulgence. Finally, it was decided that a man by the name of 
Christian Christensen was the man to tie to. He had the asthma, anyhow, and life wasn't much of an object to him, so they said that, although he declined, he must take the nomination, as he was in the hands of his friends. So they tied the rope around Christian and cast anchor. The car slowed up and at last stopped still. The plan had succeeded. Five happy wives greeted their husbands that night as they returned from the jaws of destruction. Christian Christensen did not return. The days may come and the days may go, but Christian's wife will look up toward the summit of the snow-crowned mountains in vain. He will never entirely return. He has done so partially, of course, but there are still missing fragments of him, and it looks as though he must have lost his life. Why We Shed the Scalding In justice to ourself, we desire to state that the Cheyenne Sun has vilified us and placed us in a false position before the public. It has stated that while at Rock Creek Station, in the early part of the week, we were taken for a peanutter and otherwise ill-treated at the railroad eating corral and omelette emporium, and that, in consequence of such treatment, we shed great scalding tears as large as watermelons. This is not true. We did shed the tears as above set forth, but not because of ill-treatment on the part of the eating-house proprietor. It was the presence of death that broke our heart and opened the fountains of our great deep, so to speak. When we poured the glucose syrup on our pancakes, the stiff and cold remains of a large beetle and two cunning little twin cockroaches fell out into our plate and lay there hushed in an eternal repose. Death to us is all-powerful. The king of terrors is to us the mighty sovereign before whom we must all bow, from the mighty emperor down to the meanest slave, from the railroad superintendent riding in his special car, down to the humblest humorist, all alike must some day curl up and die. This saddens us at all times, but more peculiarly so when death, with his relentless lawn-mower, has gathered in the young and innocent. This was the case where the two little twin cockroaches, whose lives had been unspotted, and whose years had been unclouded by wrong and selfishness, were called upon to meet death together. In the stillness of the night, when others slept, these affectionate little twins crept into the glucose syrup and died. We hope no one will misrepresent this matter. We did weep, and we are not ashamed to own it. We sat there and sobbed until the tablecloth was wet for our feet, and the venerable ham was floating around in tears. It was not for ourself, however, that we wept. No unkindness on the part of an eating-house ever provoked such a tornado of woe. We just weep when we see death and are brought in close contact with it, and we are not the only one that shed tears. Dickinson and Warren wept, strong men as they were. Even the butter wept. Strong as it was, it could not control its emotions. We don't very often answer a newspaper attack, but when we are accused of weeping till people have to take off their boots and wring out their socks, 
we want the public to know what it is for. End of section 21